Welcome to Testimony, a musician story. Heard at TestimonyStories.com and narrated by myself, Brown Theory, the music lover constantly seeking positive music. Let's get started. December 15, 1977, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He has three sisters and was raised in a Christian home. His father is a pastor and his mother an evangelist. He says he got ministry naturally and credits who he is today to his parents. I thought my testimony was less than holy I thought that I was less blessed than my homies Just confessing only the big sins I thought that was a badge of honor I thought I had to have a story that was packed with drama But I ain't never been shot, no big crimes Never smoked weed, never drank, I never did time I grew up with both parents, both cheering me on Teaching me basic things like no swearing It's so apparent I came up in the church Socially, that's where I gained my worth Learned to pray and serve myself for God Displaying this worth by living without blame on the earth Just the average kid You know the type that like to play in the dirt Came home with dirt stains on my shirt Reciting the same old verse At the table, no pains, no hurts And I knew that I was called before the day of my birth And it's like that I ain't got no horror story They were intentional about exposing me to Christian thought and spiritual things And the gospel at a very young age I'm really grateful that, you know, they raised me in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. Emmanuel was a typical kid. Kinda. Sort of. You see, because he was raised by strong believers, he was very conflicted at a very young age. He struggled with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the desire to fit in and be cool. My mother and father kind of set the moral compass in a certain direction for me. And then being in an environment, just in school and um, my neighborhood, just being around people who didn't share those values, could care less about the Lord, you know. Uh, they wanted to run and run around and play, catch a girl, freak a girl, and, you know, spin the bottle, shoot their consequences. That was the game. That was the game. You catch a girl, freak a girl, yeah. The girls run, and the boys chase them, and uh, when they catch them, you know, you, you try hump. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's kind of, let's, but you know, that, was, that was the game. That was the game. When you start transitioning from that four, five, and six to that, transition to that eight, nine, and ten, you know, you, you get, you're starting to, in some way, get in touch with these weird sexual feelings or whatever. So I'm struggling with all of those things. I'm struggling with, you know, um, you know, all my friends are, you know, beating somebody up in the classroom. I'm literally sitting there like, what do I do? Because I know as a Christian, you know, with the limited knowledge that I had of the Lord, just the basic knowledge, you know, of right and wrong, 
intelligence instilled in me, I was just constantly conflicted. Faith can be certified, lace to the shirt and tie. You could be 13, going on 30. I yeah, they say the children are the future. It's far from the truth, but that's what we tell our youth groups. Yeah, it's just that's what they become used to. It's hard for them to offer themselves to be used. Because Emmanuel was a small kid, he got bullied a lot. And there was one particular bully that messed with him for like a year straight. Until Emmanuel got fed up and went ham on that bully. Needless to say, that bully didn't mess with him again. And nobody can tell Emmanuel and his small behind nothing. After that, he was fighting daily and spiritually wrestling with knowing what's wrong and what's right. One thing did help him to focus. And that was playing the drums. He got his first drum set at the age 12 and would practice for hours. He joined the high school jazz band, the city band, and traveled and studied around the world. He thought that was going to be his future. Becoming an international rap star was the last thing on his mind because his parents didn't allow rap in their household he wasn't too familiar with it. Man, we need role models. Got a lot of teachers, but man, we need more fathers. Talking about spiritual, teach us how to be mature. But if they abandon us, how we gonna go further? Tell me who we gonna follow. We gonna get our core values from the dudes rapping on the screens of our floor models. And you don't wanna leave it up to rappers who contend to be trap stars. Bonafide homeowners. Hold up, more problems. Men won't step one foot in to the local church because it caters to a woman's pants and it's full of feminine. Man, man, we pushing him far away from Christ into the arms of the Muslim men. Cause men don't need to print, we need strength. Christ was not a hippie picking lilies with his friends. Jesus was a man's man, so men followed him. Doing God the Father's will, saying, Father, I will sin. I stumbled into that. Um, Hip hop was something that uh, I actually wasn't allowed to listen to growing up. I just heard it, you know, people banging it in their cars, driving down the street. I used to watch the jukebox over my one of my friends' house, and um, that's how I saw rap. But I, I, didn't, I never liked it. I thought it was depressing. And then Christian hip-hop was actually real cheesy back then. So one day, me, my friend and I were making fun of Christian hip-hop. He was some Christian hip-hop artists. And um, while we were doing that, I kind of said to myself, yo, you don't sound um, half bad. And uh, that night, the night they were making fun of it, and I said that to myself, my friend laughed. And I was like, yeah, let me try to write something to see how this comes out. And that was the time when Dallas Effects was out. So I did this rap, and I was like, I think he did what David did when he did the devil. <laughs> so I did this rap. So I called my homie up. I was like, yo, I just wrote my, I think I just wrote my first Christian rap, and it's crazy. And then it's crazy because my homie was like, yo, me too. I just wrote one too. I, did, I just did one too. And then I think forward that week, literally, we, we started a group. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was like, yo, let's start a group. I was like, all right, let's start a group. <laughs> Oh, 
on my mind like Abel. Abel, please count on my waist. Think about it. Written and the writers put me in it. What would they say about my private life? What would they say? Would they say that my commitment to the ministry was strong, but that I never spent time with my wife? What would they say about my character? Would they say I was arrogant and American, full of myself? How would they write about my parenting? Would they say while traveling, I put my children up on the shelf? No. Would it be positive or negative if everything I ever did was jotted down a red bar? Oh. Now you're just talking about the stuff that you could see out on the surface, the stuff that was done in the dark. Talk when the doors are slapped Would they say that I was off the chain Or would it be the complete opposite Would they say my public and my private life Were all the same He had a couple of stage names Some he barely remembers But he ultimately decided to go by The truth When I first started rapping My raps were very apologetic I was always thinking about You know, other religions And contending with them Because those were a lot of the conversations That I would end up in at that time. So one of the things though about the other religions is that there's always a slice of truth, which is the, the deceptiveness of religion. <laughs> you know, there's going to be some, some element of truth in there somewhere. And that's what, you know, draws people in. You know, I was big back then on not just truth in the, in the generic sense, but truth embodied in a person, you know, because he won't deceive you. So Christ, I'm the way, the truth and the life. So the person of Christ won't deceive you in any way. With these other religions, you're going to get some truth, and then the rest of it's going to be deception. But I wanted to point people to the one who embody truth. The truth and his homies started the group Chosen One. The group grew and changed their name to Salvation Army and became a local success. They toured and opened a lot of shows for the popular group Cross Movement. Salvation Army and Cross Movement attended the same church. Cross Movement became an integral part of Truth's learning process and helped to shape and mold him into the artist he currently is. Eventually, Salvation Army split up, but the Truth continued to travel the world with his mentors, Cross Movement. He's teaching you what it means to be a man and giving you future insights to do to the woman that's reading your hand or reading your palm. Who's your teacher? You've been reading the songs, learning some hymns, learning from him who brings seeds to a calm. If not, then your teacher is wrong. Come let Jesus inform you, lest you have an eternal reason to mourn. If not, then your teacher is wrong. Come let Jesus inform you, lest you have an eternal reason to mourn. Who's been teaching you? Who's been reaching you? One day when we were in London, Wells came up to me, Tonic, and they came up to me and he was like, man, if you stick around, we're going to sign you, sign you as our first solo artist. I was like, all right, cool. So that was like 99. And, um, and I literally thought nothing else of it because I, I guess I kind of felt like I had that um, Drake kind of moment, you know, early on where you was just like doing mixtapes and, and surviving off of them. That's how my career was in the beginning, where I had a little EP out, and I was living off of that for like four years, <laughs> like true, like that. <laughs> traveling all over the place and like doing shows. And uh, in 2003, uh, Wells called me up, and he was like, "I had forgot about it though. I forgot about that. I forgot that he put it on the table because I was kind of self-sufficient." Um, 2003, he was like, "All right, time to get in the booth," and literally those was his words. <laughs> it was like the summer. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, all right, cool, bet." So I started recording Moment of Truth, and uh, the rest is history. While recording songs and touring, Truth became a student of the Word. He attended and graduated from Philadelphia Biblical University and the Institute of Jewish Studies. 
while the Holy Spirit fueled him through the grueling process of studying in the midst of becoming a Christian rap star, there was one woman who stood by his side, his wife. The two of them started dating in 1990, and uh, 90, well, uh, he isn't sure when they started dating. I want to say 99, he started dating. Oh, back. When he started dating. I know this is funny. <laughs> 97, 98. <laughs> I was close. I should say, get it right. <laughs> she said 97, 98, so she a little unsure too. <laughs> uh, well, we met in church. Yeah, yeah, we met in church. I think I met her through a uh, mutual friend. But at any rate, we were sweating each other. One of the things that I tried to do to my wife was the fact that she was outside of the, the, the in crowd. Because like, I was in the in crowd. But my wife was kind of always like above the fray, just kind of like outside of the in crowd and just, you know, really genuine, you know, really genuinely loved the Lord. She always sat in the front row of church, which that was unheard of for our, our age group. You know, we was always like in the in the balcony, in the back, you know, or in the basement, you know. But um, she was always on the front row taking notes during the sermon. That was attractive to me, you know, kind of watching her from a distance. And then um, one day at a singles ministry thingy, she had this like blue ensemble on and somehow it just kind of like brought out the hazel in her eyes. Um, so <laughs> it, like, she really stood out that day. <laughs> so I approached her and um, she, we exchanged numbers and uh, we didn't really start talking, talking right away, but uh, eventually we did. Praise God for my wife, oh how I love her People on the road wanna know how I met her Mutual friend, it was summer 97 At a singles fellowship, yes we exchanged numbers Fast forward something like five years When I realized this woman was everything I wasn't We transitioned from friends, became lovers In 2002 is when I became husband Now she's wife, she's my rose if she Truth and Nicole have been married for 11 years and he is the father of two daughters. The Family Man is one side of truth, and making albums, leading souls to Christ, and winning awards is another side to this very busy man. Truth has released seven studio albums and has had two Grammy nominations, three Dove nominations, and has won four stellar awards. So, how excited was Truth when he won his first stellar award? Never been really big on awards, though. So it was pretty cool, you know. I, I I probably have a greater appreciation for awards now than I did then. For now, now because I've been in it so long, to still be recognized, you know, in the space that I'm in is very encouraging. You know, because a lot of people don't last this long. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've seen a lot of people come and go, a lot of careers rise and fall, you know. And I think that, especially after all that I've been through, you know, to still kind of be cool and cool at the top is is more encouraging to me now because now it's uh, these are great gifts from God. You know, not just awards for being great artists. We want the whole world to know we over here. I'm talk, talk, talking from the lawyers and the doctors to the corners with the choppers to the homies in the barber chair. My whole career in the church, got my eyes on the streets. Looking at the world with the eyes on me, what they talking about? Huh? Jesus is for everybody. Huh? Jesus is for everybody. Oh, I got my eyes on the rich. Look 
looking at the trap boys and the life of a prince. What they talking about? Huh? Jesus for everybody. Huh? Jesus is for everybody. Blue collar, white collar, black professors, white scholars, politicians, Dalai Lamas. Everybody in the whole wide world need hope if I be honest. I'm in that number, but since he saved me, I'ma survive. I promise to got my due, I would go crazy. And I would go nuts and I would go numb. Broken down to the lowest crumb, but I've been in that pit before and they call me crazy. But I got that life and I got that strength. In the midnight when the light goes dim, the cycle begin. Go. We all want it, yeah. We all need it. Drug dealers, drug dealers, meth addicts, meth addicts, single mamas, single mamas, baby daddies, baby daddies, college students working hard but they bout to lose. So here we come to bring them the truth, truth. the good news, but they think we still bad, we still bad. We got it now. Hope more work than a pot of gout. gout. So much work that we gotta got. I hope like this they got enough. Okay. Maybe winning the stellar for the first time wasn't that big of a deal to him. But going to the Grammys for the first time was shaking hands with you know people that you might admire artistically. You know, kind of being two rows away from them. This is cool. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, now you know we put it all in perspective. We know that Kanye or Jay Z. We we understand what the challenges are from a content perspective, and we understand the spiritual condition of their souls and all of those things. But you know, at the end of the day, it's like, from an artistic perspective, they've made a crazy contribution <laughs> to the world. So you admire them from that vantage point, you know. So um, seeing, you know, kind of seeing them face to face or seeing them a row ahead of you or whatever, just is a different, just very different, you know, than kind of seeing them on television or whatever. Even the red carpet is very cool. When you're on a red carpet and, you know, you're doing interviews with Kermit the Frog, you know, it's like, even though Kermit's not a real person, he's kind of a real person. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's a very different dynamic um, than even the uh, Gospel Award shows. So just very, very, very cool. Everything is clockwork, you know. It's a machine. It's well-oiled, and, you know, it's, 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 um, it's just a good time. It's really a good time. Then we went to the after party, uh, which was like Babylon, uh, but it was still uh, an experience. <laughs> it was still an experience um, that I, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't trade for the world, you know. And then obviously being amongst non-believers in that context is always cool. From just being a light to them. In 2009, naysayers of the Christian faith and gossip lovers everywhere were salivating from the mouth about the alleged affair Truth had with his close friend, Ty Tribbett's wife. But Truth has spoken the truth and openly admitted 
to infidelity. I ain't trying to be hot, I'm trying to be relevant. I ain't a candle, I ain't trying to wax eloquent. I'm running for my life now, trying to fight hard. These ain't just lyrics, but a contrite heart. Yeah, feeling it like the heat in the summer. We know better, but the flesh should be keeping us running. Back the leeks and onions, as if recent discovered. If it's in the dark, it's impossible to keep secrets covered. Who would've known that my indiscretions would reach my cousins? I apologize to me, me, my niece, and others. You should have been able to trust, but I preached the covenant. I knew you all before you was able to reach the cupboard. Now when I preached in public, it's all out the window. Cause sin contradicted a lot of what my pen wrote. Yeah, especially what I wrote in open book. Apparently there was something in me. He took a step back from the public eye and worked on strengthening his relationship with God and his wife. His wife exercised the most difficult act Jesus Christ showed us, forgiveness. Truth walked us through the reconciliation process with God and his wife through his music. He turned his spiritual setback not only into a learning process for him, but to others as well. Like Harlem Knights, I need Jesus Davis' son like a Harley bike. Wasn't hardly right, but I did was wrong. And it ticks me off, and it sets me off. And I hate the consequences cause death results But I know I reap what I sow like Betsy Ross Yeah, he ain't tip me but he let me fall Now I carry all that pain, sin left me scarred He let me fall, can't let me go And now I went astray, sin left me broke Yeah, the light for me ain't no crystal stair But I just keep climbing cause the diamond is crystal clear At times I'm quiet, I get a chair Sit and stare and think about the ways that sin affected my physical year Yeah, the Tide is turning now, I'm shifting gears. Though I'm weak, he's giving strength in the midst of tears. Now it's dead, revive my soul. Takes the broken, makes him whole. Takes the bound, makes him free. Takes the weak and makes him strong. All of my sins have been erased. He has lifted my disgrace. I'm overjoyed, overjoyed that Jesus would Spiritually, he has not let up from the gas. Career-wise, to be cliche in the most possible way, he has put the pedal to the metal. He now has his own record label, Mixed Bag, and recently released his seventh album, Heartbeat. Yeah, it's one of the things that I kind of talk to artists and leaders about now, which is being careful to not take your foot off the gas when you gain a certain level of success. I'm really afraid for people to become successful. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but I know what comes with it. So when I see it, I'm just always hoping and praying that they are super grounded and that they never forsake the thing that got them to that place of success. I think that to a large degree, I abandoned a lot of the, the uh, disciplines uh, that sustained me throughout my career and my ministry which is intimacy with the Lord, which may sound cliche, but I really don't care how it sounds. It is what it is. If you abandon intimacy with God, you become vulnerable to and susceptible to anything. When your ministry slash career becomes an idol, so to speak, and what, by idol, I mean, it so consumes your time. You, fail to commit, you fail to be intentional about spending the necessary time that you need to in fellowship with the Lord. And 
that is the beginning of the end. You see it all the time, all through our scriptures, um, where people start off amazing. Even kings started off amazing. Priests that started off amazing, and then they got to a certain place of success and took their foot off the gas in terms of they stopped acquiring of the Lord. And as a result, you know, things would fall apart. And so I think that I tell people that success is a gift and a curse. We don't realize how hard it is to serve God on the mountaintop. Oftentimes we think that's the easiest place to serve God and to be faithful to him. That's actually the hardest place to be faithful to him. Um, the valley is actually the easiest place to be faithful to God because there is a natural sense of dependency. The mountaintop is difficult to serve and be faithful to God because you have to be intentional about intimacy and faithfulness. I think that for me, it was just that. Before you know where you're in the studio and when you're traveling and you're in the interviews and you're, and then you're making albums and you you know, you're at the award shows and, you're, and the list goes on and on. You're at the, you're at the, you're at the, you're at the. And all the while, your spiritual life is uh, dim- diminishing. Um, and as consequently, you become spiritually depleted um, and vulnerable to, you know, whatever darts the enemy wants to throw or whatever the, the dictates of the flesh are. And so um, it's a slow cook, especially if you're a mature believer. Um, it's a slow rotisserie type process, you know, um, because Satan knows he can't get you with certain things, but you know, if he, he can slow roll you <laughs> and that's, that's what I feel like he did. Um, once that happens, the heart, which is naturally deceptive, um, <laughs> just kind of has free reign to do what it does best. Once I traced my steps, I ended up at, you know what? I can never take my foot off the gas again. Um, no matter how well things are going for me. Oh, welcome home, you've been gone. Uh, welcome home, you've been gone. Uh, welcome home, you've been gone. We gon' party on and on and on and on. Uh, Tune in to part two of Testimony and Musician Story to hear the truth talk about his identity crisis as an artist, his label, and the concept behind some of the tracks on the album. Welcome back, we got the party favors. We called the family, your friends, the churches, and all your neighbors. Never mind that you was out there on your worst behavior. We forgave you, now he forgave you, it's off the table. You got a clean slate now, let your feet dangle. Royalty, a purple robe, kicking back at the king's table. Dream chasing, but now you back with the team, ain't you? The scene changes to singing angels and green acres. Thank you for listening to Testimony, a musician story. This has been a Brown Theory production and an 83 Media production. To hear this episode again, as well as past episodes, visit TestimonyStories.com. That's TestimonyStories, with an S, dot com, where you can hear content for you and about you. Until next time, I'm Brown Theory, the music lover constantly seeking positive music. Welcome home, you big John. Welcome home, you big John. We gon' party on.